0: I have a presentation here today about a new kind of design methodology. Uh, it's called Information-Driven Product Design. Um, but it's kind of the first time I'm giving this presentation, so I would like to kind of make it more interactive and, you know, ask questions and have a discussion. So it's not like me talking for an hour. Um, we'll go through a couple of exercises. Um, it will be kind of fun. We'll have games, prizes. No, we I mean, I have no prizes. Um, so... I'll I'll basically go through the following steps. I will do a little bit of motivation why I think information driven product design is important. I'll give you a little bit of background of other design methodologies to make sure that you know we understand how it fits into a bigger picture of product design. And we will talk about you know the background of information theory and we'll we'll go through one example after another. There will be so many examples so you will be like experts in this, this methodology after that. Um the thing that I want to start with is is that there is a huge shortage in skills right now. So if you look around, you will see that there is a lot, around one million cybersecurity job openings worldwide, and that's in 2016, it's probably a bigger number nowadays. So, you know, if you want to have a job, cybersecurity is a pretty sweet one. But I think even more importantly, you know, data scientists, you know, number one job, if you look at kind of blast um, or something like that, right? So data scientists and cybersecurity experts, there is such a demand for them. So if you as a product manager, if you're sitting there and you're thinking, hey, I'm going to design a product and the data scientists are going to sort it all out or the cybersecurity guys are going to sort it all out, uh, you might be waiting for a long time before one of them will join your company, right? Before you find the right one, before you find the really smart one. So you as a product manager, you will need to start picking it up a little bit, right? You need to start thinking about security. You need to start thinking about data science. Um, Otherwise, it's not going to work, right? That's, that's, that's what the core focus of this meeting here today is, to, to, to talk about how cybersecurity and data science, how the product manager is kind of the pivotal role here, how the product manager will kind of help help these two fields come together. And you will learn about those two fields as well. Um, so before we go into information-driven product design, I want to acknowledge that, you know, there are many different methodologies out there. Uh, for product design. Actually, I think every big company has their own, you know, Cisco has one, uh, Google has one. Um, even even the Stanford uh, Design School has one, it's called Design Thinking. That's, that's the one that I'm most familiar with. So I, I'll choose that as an example, but there are so many de- design methodologies and I just want to acknowledge and maybe kind of go through one of them and kind of see what is a design methodology in product. Right, so this one is called Design Thinking invented by David Kelly from Stanford and IDEO. Um, it has the following steps, right so we'll we'll look at those steps and we 'll go through those steps and we 'll take an example to learn about those steps so we can kind of experience that so there there are three steps or four steps or five steps depending on who's teaching it. Uh, but it all starts with empathy, so trying to understand you know what is driving the users, what is their motivation, what are they feeling right uh, The definition of the problem, you need to define the problem, and then you need to have a couple of solutions. I did like brainstorming, and then you need to start prototyping, and then maybe testing, right? So depending on how many steps there are. So these are the different stages. And to kind of make it a more life example, I want to tell you about an experience that I had. So I went to Japan to do a startup, and I was kind of, my goal motivation was mainly... I heard in the U.S. everyone is teaching coding. I heard coding is really cool. Uh, there is like Code for America, and like you know, let's teach every kid is uh, how to code, right? And I thought, okay, we well, go to Japan, and I I will want to teach the Japanese kids how to code. It's probably going to be repop- popular. It's going to be a great startup. And the mistake that I've done is, and I want to kind of kind of do this exercise here. Is imagine you you have the same objective. You think coding is cool, right? I mean, probably uh, universal. Uh, but you go to Japan and Let's try to do this empathize and see who are the different stakeholders uh, who might be and what they think and what they feel. So uh, does anyone want to give it a go? Who are, who, who are the different stakeholders that you need to convince that coding is cool in, in this type of a... the uh The students themselves, right? So there might be like big students, there might be little kids, like whatever group you choose, right? Mm-hmm. So those guys, who, who else do we have? The, the kids parents, kids? right? Who else? The, the, the parents, right? The schools... Uh, who? Maybe government, right? So you have all those different stakeholders. So l- let's go through it. What do you think could be... Do, do they all agree and coding is like the really the best thing? Or, or do some of them have object, or, or objections and they're like, hey, I'm worried about my child learning to code, being a hacker or something like that. Well, are there any, does anyone think they can come up with a reason why, why this, this startup would fail? Like I go in there and start teaching coding, why, why would it fail? Oh, correct. But what, what? exactly? What is the thing that's stopping them?
1: Language. Well, in the case of younger students, their their curriculum is already
0: overfilled, and they look as like they are they're trying to remove some stuff. That's right. And you come in and you add to add stress. Right. The, the, this is the part of. Uh, kind of design thinking that turns out to be super important. And guys, by the way, if you are applying for Google interviews, that's the first thing that you need to do. Like, you know, who are the personas? What are they thinking? What is driven by them? So it's the first step. Everyone does this already. So it turns out the mistake that I've done is that the parents, as you pointed out, right, they have their opinion on their own. And it's a really strange opinion. I can't empathize. And I'm not trying to generalize. That's just what we found from case studies. Uh, But the general idea was that, you know, I don't want my kid to learn coding Because coding is what engineers do, and engineers are kind of like auto mechanics. I don't want my kid to be an auto mechanic. I want him to have a really uh, sweet government job, like really safe. Um, I, if if you're an engineer, if you're like a startup guy, you're like an embarrassment to our family. So it's kind of uh, over-exaggerating here. I'm not saying everyone in Japan thinks that. But that's what we saw, that there was a lot of kind of uh, pushback. I don't want my kid to learn coding. I want them to go to school, really stick to the curriculum, and, and have a sweet government job, right? So it, it really didn't work out. And so... What we realized is that kind of to overcome this, we then did a little trick and we said, hey, they do look uh, like robots, though. They all like robots. They think robots are really cool. So we started teaching the kids how to code using robots, and that worked out. So it's just an example. I'm not saying this is the best idea that I ever had, but these this, this are basically the steps, right? You, you go through empathizing, trying to figure it out, and then you define what is the actual problem, and then you, you start building it out. So that, that's a design methodology. And the thing that I want to discuss here today is the information-driven product design. So, what is information? Uh, it's a little bit technical. I know it's kind of late. We all had beers, but it's really cool stuff. You're gonna, when you come out of this, you will say, "Hey, I've learned what information theory is," and you will be like in the 1 percentile, and everyone will be really proud of you. Um, so, it's invented by Claude Shannon. So, this famous name, everyone knows him. He worked for Bell Labs, a super cool, cool guy. Uh, he died unfortunately, but his uh, uh, his kind of. Uh, uh, student is the guy who, who taught me about information theory. He also died, unfortunately, but he's a great guy. He wrote the book, so it's a great book. Um, and this is kind of the core formula of information theory. There is just like only one formula. It looks pretty complicated, but it only depends on this one quantity, which is the probability, probability of an event. So it's, it's pretty simple. Let me explain to you. Um, so the amount of information that something is holding depends on the probability of how often that occurs. So, if it uh, happens all the time, like I have a dog, the dog brings me slippers all the time, um, that happens all the time. i'm not really surprised by that, but imagine my wife starts bringing me slippers i'm going to be like, "Wow, this never happened before, right? Um, it still never happened. so I keep bringing this example she she doesn't get the drift so so it's all it's all yeah, she's not here that's fine. Uh, <laughs> So it's all about the probability, right? The probability of an event. So imagine like you have this door here and there is some stuff jumping out of this door like like a sheep, like white sheep. They keep jumping out one after another and I get really bored. I have so many sheep, like all sheep around me, right? And then a black sheep jumps out and I've never seen a black sheep and that carries a lot of surprise, a lot of information. So f- from this definition... Uh, Something that happens rarely carries a lot of information, so that's information theory in a nutshell. The cool thing about information theory, because it only depends on the probability, it doesn't actually care about your kind of intrinsic value that you have for sheep. So, for example, you know, like, black sheep, really cool, never seen that, but imagine, like, the white sheep keep jumping out, and instead of a white sheep, you have, like, a dragon jumping out, like a Game of Thrones one, right? I will be really concerned at that moment, right? (laughs) So the black sheep was, okay, cool, but now it's a dragon, okay? So there, it doesn't distinguish between the two things, right? Because they all uh, occurred with the same probability, and this is this is kind of the core property, this ability to not have this intrinsic bias of what's important and what's not important. This core property that we will use in this product design that we'll come up with, right? Let me give you a couple of examples uh, today. Uh, I will start with data science, and I will give you two examples of how to use it in data science, and then I will give you two examples in in security and cybersecurity. So the first example that I want to use is, um, so I used to work as a data scientist, and I was kind of working on the matchmaking engine, so on the algorithm, how to bring boys and girls together. You know, 10 million people, um, not not for Tinder, I'm just using that as an example, Um, but 10 million people, and I was writing this algorithm to bring them together. So, you know, I used to say that I'm the daddy of quite many people, but um, that, that's, that's, that's just an aside. Um, so I wrote this algorithm, and the data that we used for this algorithm was like questionnaires, right? You ask them, hey, do you like cats and dogs? What's kind of your salary expectations? You have like 80 questions, and you bring this stuff together, and it turned out none of that really mattered to predict a successful relationship. Turns out, you know, cats and dogs has no impact on that. What turned out to be the kind of the key driver was, um, was how, how soon a person responds to messages, how fast they kind of log in to check that they have a message. I call it the desperation factor, you know? So if somebody's really desperate, they're like, oh, my God. Um, so, by, by the way, that's, that's basically if you're wondering why your Tinder is not kind of working, it's because you're just kind of oh, too desperate, right? Um, so, so I, I, Yeah. I charge for that advice um, so, so so that's what we figured out, but the interesting thing is when the product manager was building this thing right they built this thing and they weren't actually tracking any of this information they weren't tracking the log data, how soon somebody logs in, uh, none of the information in terms of how they respond to messages right because they only had this uh, eighty questions they thought this is this is the sit and and they they don't care about this information and and that's kind of this this typical thing that product managers have right? They think, I know best, I'm going to know what, what the data is important, and everything else I'm not going to care about. And it turns out that this data was super useful, and if he would have, or she would have paid a little bit more attention, they would have had this data and they would have seen it. Um, the other thing that I want to kind of use as, as a, a similar example, and this has nothing to do with me, but it turns out that, you know, identity management is a really big issue nowadays, right? A password's really bad. and even if you're logged in with the password and then you walk away from your computer and somebody else comes there and they, you're logged in and that's how they get you, right? So password identity management is really important. And so this guy has figured out that you can actually detect who is the person on the computer depending on how they type, depending on the speed that they te- type. They have like little micro segments between the A and E and they're like, hey, this is you, right? So that was super smart but it was also only possible because somebody started recording all of this data one day they were like hey I'm gonna kind of record all this useless data no one no one knows right it's like with, with the sheep I don't know whether the black sheep or dragons are more important I'm not going to be judgmental here I'm just gonna say hey really cool data I'm just gonna record it and the data scientists they're gonna they're gonna find value in it they will they, they will make a lot of cash for all of us right that's how you build products right don't don't have this assumption that you know exactly how old data will be used um, and the reason why I'm telling you is, is because it's the same thing from a cybersecurity perspective. From a cybersecurity perspective, I'm going to give you two examples of how people build products and they, they had these presumptions of knowing better and then turn out not to be the case. Right? So the first example that I'm using here is login screens. I'm I'm sure you've seen this before. So this is Apple. I think one of them is Google as well, right? So when you log in into this thing, one one really interesting thing that can happen is you use an email and then Apple tells you whether this email exists in their database, right? So they just give you this one little detail. Like I call this like one little bit of information. Basically, they're telling you that this person does exist in the database, but you use the wrong password. And actually, just before this talk, I was like playing around and by mistake, I logged in as a different user because, you know, I just tried an email and then I said, I don't know the password and the security questions were pretty simple. And so by mistake, I logged in. So it's still still a current problem with the systems. Um, so, and and the reason the reason is, you know, like they just didn't care. They like said, I had a little bit of information. I don't really, it's not a big deal, but that's this presumption, right? Every little bit of information can be later abused by the bad guys, right? Please.
1: Not to be nitpicky, but sure, sure, sure. the lower left is a good example, right, of how, of how to do it. Because they're, they're not telling you which piece of information is wrong. Or is there something else in that interaction?
0: That That's correct. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what I'm saying. So th- this this is the good thing. And if they give you the information saying,
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. So don't, don't tell them that the combination of the password and email exists. Uh, tell them that we, we don't know. We've never seen it. That, that's, yeah, that's that's correct. Thanks.
1: Some sites seem to even go
0: as far as to we sent you the email. We, we've sent you there all the time. All if, the
1: time. Even, exactly. Realize, okay, I don't, I don't even have an account there.
0: That's correct. That, that's a great thing to do, right? Because if you send all the time, then the person cannot distinguish whether this person has an account or not, Right. Um, th- so this is
1: where we should violate usability for product manager, Correct, product correct,
0: correct, correct, yeah. It's in the usability thing, right? They, oh. they were like, hey, we're going to make it really nice for the user, right? But then, you know, like half of us can log in into your account now, right? So <laughs> so we, we'll try it after the talk. So exactly, it's a trade-off, right? But I, I think when you start thinking about each one of the little details mattering, <laughs> you, 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 will, you will kind of get into this direction. Let me give you another example. So here we have... Uh, batteries. I don't know whether you guys know on your phone when you browse, um, turns out that the browser is asking the phone how much battery it has. has something to do with the fact that you want to make sure that, you know, if you don't have much battery, the browser is going to kind of tune down and stop kind of consuming too much battery, right? But as a product manager, you could have just made it a binary thing. Do you have a lot of battery? Okay, no problem. I'm going to use the full. But what actually happened is they were sending the exact amount of energy that you have. Into the browser and they weren't just sending 98% you have battery, right? They were sending 98% point 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 zero five So if this number then was used to identify an anonymous person Browsing from one website to another because their the battery status wasn't changing fast enough But when you switch from one uh, Website to another website they still see you oh, it's 90% zero 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 five, oh it's still you okay? so so they were using this little a little bit of information again, totally kind of missing all the product managers. And they were using it uh, to de-anonymize, de- de- right? And so d- to do some cybersecurity stuff. So that, that's that's kind of basically the the thinking, right? So you've built something, you, you, you think it's going well. And because you didn't care about how much information you're exposing to the bad guys, it gets abused. Um, so that's basically kind of how some of the really cool products are being designed right now. So if I go into Gmail and I try to log in from here, from someone else's computer, they will not present me the picture, they will not present anything, right? But if I go from my computer, they show me my picture and my, my email, right? And that's because they have the user agents, they have the IPs, they have uh, my, my cache, right? All the little cookies. Right? So, so they collect a lot of information, and then later they use this information to, to create a better user experience or to better, uh, better security feature. Right? So they use all this information, they collect it, they don't expose it if they, if, if they have to, but, but they can build better products with that. So that, that's one example. So let me uh, give you kind of the summary of this, and then we go into a couple of examples how to, to, to build uh, and how, to, how other products are built. So so the key kind of suggestion here is if you want to be a PM and you want to combine the cybersecurity and data science stuff, you basically want to minimize the information that you expose to the outside world because the bad guys are going to abuse it. or. As a data scientist, you want to maximize the information that you keep in the system because don't, don't be presumptuous to, to think that some information is more important than other. Just keep all this information and it will be used later by data scientists to do some really great stuff, right? So that's the summary. Let, let me show you a couple of cool things um, how it is actually um, being mistreated right now. So, for example, one of the coolest, uh, most valuable things that the company has is um, how many... Customers you have and who are your customers, right? It, I know of you guys kind of uh, Startup founders or like working for a company that is like right if I ask you like hey, who are your customers? You will be like hey this two companies, but you're not going to give me the entire customer base, right? So if you look right now at um, box.com you can actually iterate through the names of the companies that Uh, are their customers, right? Because that's how they they created their domain, right? And actually, Google is doing the same thing. So in Gmail, you can go here and you iterate through everyone who is using Gmail, uh, which companies are using Gmail, right? So those companies are basically opening it up and telling everyone who their customers are, and if I want to to build a company like Box, I will just iterate through it, I will know exactly who bought their product, and I will contact them and, and, and sell to them, right Just because they've done this little bit of information that they kind of opened up to the, to the rest of the world. Um, and it happens like this little crumbles, like the entire internet is full of these crumbles. This is called inf- information leakage. So basically the entire internet is full of super useful information that you know the bad guys abuse. And, and, and we as a product managers, we are actually giving them all of this stuff, right? So if we do a, a better job, then they have a harder work to do. Um, are there any questions to, to this? No. Cool. So let me give you another example. So recently at Semantic, we've built um, a product. Um, and it was one of the fastest uh, products that has been rolled out in Semantic. And it's only four months. and four months, we like from little design sketches, we've developed this product and rolled it out to general availability. It's, it's it's really fast for a big company. I know like startups are faster, but big companies, they have a lot of security stuff, regulatory stuff, right? They have to go through all of this stuff. And the way we succeeded in rolling out this product is using information-driven product design. We said, hey, um, we will follow this uh, strategy. So let me tell you a little bit about this product. Um, here are the three uh, type of personas that we have, right? So we have a customer, which is like an insurance company. It's a, uh, insurance company like AIG, Zurich, these guys, right? And in this case, it was a travelers. And this customer wants to make sure that their end users, so the guy who, and the guys who buy insurance, that the end users learn about cybersecurity. They take a survey, they answer some questions, and they learn about cybersecurity. And after they've taken the survey, they need to talk to a cybersecurity expert from Semantic to kind of discuss the results of the survey. That, that's that's pretty much it. The only the only kind of non-trivial condition here is this customer really wanted it to be an exclusive thing. They wanted to make sure that only their their end users have access to this thing and no one else. Right. So the typical way to build this would be just to say, hey, there is a login page. Uh, you give us all the emails of all your customers. We'll create accounts for them. They can log in, answer the questions, and it's all good. Right. And so if you would have built this product this way, it would have taken a year because you would have gone um, you would have had built something that is storing of storing all the answers of this survey in your own system in your backend. So if the CISO of Goldman Sachs goes to your system and says, "Hey, we don't use encryption. We haven't figured out how backups work," right? You're suddenly storing this very sensitive information in your system, and then you have to go through security, so privacy is legal. Before this all rolls out, it takes like a whole year. So what we've done is we we, we basically. Kind of circumvented it. We've created a uh, unique link links with hashed without a login system. So we just give them the links, they distribute them between their customers, and you answer it anonymously. So there is no login page, there is no tra- track and trace of who's logging in and who's answering those questions. Um, and then it generates a code, and so then the security expert can just look up the code and say, hey, I know what your answers are, let's discuss it. Uh, but you, you still don't reveal me that your identity, we are, we are done with that, right? So it's a, it's a pretty simple thing. I'm not saying this is really complicated, but it, we all can do it. But the key is you remove the anonymous, uh, you remove the identity of the customer who's answering the questions. And so the cybersecurity, uh, the hackers, they cannot abuse that system anymore. Uh, but we are still tracking all the information about the customer, you know, like what's your industry, what's your revenue and stuff like that. So we can still do cool data science on that. And the data is very valuable. Um, but we basically said, no information for the bad guys, and all the information for us. That's kind of the summary of this. Um, and and this is this is this is this this are basically the key benefits, right? So you you can save time uh, by by the limiting the information, um, and you can increase insight by by gathering more information. So that's that's kind of the fundamental of uh, of, of of this uh, methodology. I think the reason why I'm mentioning it is. I I know we're in the US, but in in the EU right now, there is a big debate about privacy. There is a new law coming up, it's called UGDPR, Um, it's a really cool word if you want to get jobs, you should mention that word in your interview, Um, UGDPR, and and the reason for that is because if you mistreat the privacy and the data of your customers, you can get fined up to 4% of your revenue, Um, that's a huge number, like 4%, like imagine you're Telefonica, you have a, it's, it's a huge number, right? So that, that money is gone. And so this law is coming into action in 2018. And so that, that's why all this kind of privacy stuff is really becoming important, not only in the U.S., where we already have big breaches and we have notification laws, but also kind of worldwide. Europe is adopting it. South Korea is. Australia. Um, Canada doesn't, but one day it will. Uh, so that, that's kind of the motivation behind this talk. Um, information, super valuable. Don't be presumptuous to know how it's going to be abused the bad guys, the good guys, but just just know how to handle it. All right? That's that's all I have. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. All right. Any, any questions? Uh, so you have the, the Apple page of, uh, I think you were calling it crumbs? Crumbs, yeah, like breadcrumbs. All yeah, breadcrumbs. yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. To, uh, its, uh,
0: is there something else yeah, I mean it's super. So, so the question is like, wh- why are they putting semantic in the domain in the URL name, right? Mm-hmm. And and there is no really good reason. It's just like a product manager for their own kind of, um, and and also from the cu- kind of uh, customer perspective. So if you look at how it actually looks like on a browser, so this is this is my 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 account. Uh, you see, it says semantic. And, and it and it has the little semantic logo. So they figured out that it makes the customer feel feel better about themselves if you display the logo, so they can kind of see the logo at the login, and and, and then the customer knows that they're going to the right website, right? So they, they they started doing that, but in reality, that has no actual real purpose, right? So you the also the
1: logo. see, yeah, the right. also the
0: logo. That, that, that's the thing, right? So it's kind of it's not really a, a, protecting anyone, right? False sense, absolutely, yeah. Actually, yeah, that is actually misleading, right? And, and and that's, that's like, people like us, right? We build this stuff. We put a semantic here, and we put semantic here. We we think it makes us look better. But in reality, it's like it's being abused like crazy everywhere. I have a
1: domain, and I can make a subdomain of domain. You could. No one can stop me from
0: doing it. That's correct, yeah. And then some people will think that we are working with semantic, right? Yeah. So it's brand damage as well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so... Yeah. no correct, yeah, I mean theoretically you don't need anything here this this will work just app box like box has transitioned actually from using this they 're only doing this as a kind of legacy because they promised it to semantic but now every new company that starts, they only have app uh dot box dot com so they don 't actually even do that anymore, yeah but I, yeah, well, no, I, I don't think so. No. <laughs> I don't think so. I mean, I keep telling them. Like, one login has the same problem. You can see it here. Um, one login is a company that had some security stuff.
1: Is the anonymizing of individual users the way you're talking about it, where you were getting a sense of information from important companies, is that a best practice? There's a website that says you should do that. Because I think intellectually, I can understand that. Mm. If I'm going to go to clients and individual behavior and try to store as much possible information, mm-hmm. but then I say to them well, it's just a hash in my database. Is there something, is
0: there any external research? Or yeah, so so tell me more about your question.
1: Well, let's say you're interacting with your computer and I'm tracking something in fact with
0: keyboard strokes. Yeah, your question is, does yeah, everyone... I store that in the cloud. Yeah.
1: And I'm selling this to enterprises.
0: Everyone does that, yeah. That. So the question is, that is, is that something that... Do a lot of companies store a lot of sensitive data about their users? What that
1: well, do they allow, say, cloud providers to store data about their users? Like, imagine yeah. just the situation you're in. Yeah. Did it take a part, was it long
0: to convince them of this anonymizing? Which, which... which? this, I guess,
1: is
0: what yeah, I'm saying, so yeah. Like, oh, reuse right. your idea? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, you feel free to to give it a name. can <laughs> like say Nikon set. Yeah, Nikon, Nikon said, yeah, don't mention my okay. name. <laughs> uh, so, so, so... So we have two types of uh, customers. Those guys pay and those guys use it, right? So there is a distinction between the guys who pay you and the guys who use it, right? So the end users are really happy about it because, trust me, the CISO of Goldman Sachs doesn't want to log in into anything and answer a survey telling everyone about their security practices, right? It's just not something that they do. And so when you create this thing and you basically say, hey, don't worry about it, just answer those questions. Well, we, we don't know who you are. Uh, you didn't tell us, right? You didn't log in, you didn't use an email. Uh, so they really like that, right? Um, those guys, they just had some certain requirements, right? They they wanted it to be exclusive, but they also wanted it to, to be fast. So they, I don't think they really cared that much whether somebody was logging in or not, right? The only thing that they cared about is that it comes fast to the, to the market. So what
1: do you mean? So you're getting the, the questions from the end user?
0: Correct. So end SMB. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And
1: Know, don't know,
0: I don't know. I don't know which, don't company, it know which
1: company it is. Yeah. So you don't know how to attribute I don't know. risk indicators to the sector, geography?
0: I do know that, yeah. Because they answer the question. They say, hey, I'm part of this industry, part of this revenue. And you're
1: collecting uh-huh. general yeah. information that you can then put
0: to cou- existing or the incoming customers into that, uh, that uh, frame? And compare. And Correct, yeah, without knowing this, without logging in, correct, yeah. So why would they fill the questionnaire? Why, 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 why do they answer the questionnaire? Well, what the motivation to answer These guys, their main motivation is basically they get to talk to the security consultant after that. So they answer their questions, and you never know how well you're doing, right? Score. Score or free download
1: of software or something like
0: and then you can call up this guy and tell him, hey, I'm not going to tell you my name, but here is the number that I got out of the questionnaire. It's a unique number that identifies this questionnaire that you've answered. And then you basically come into this guy and you say, here is my unique number 12, 25, and 16, right? And then he can pull up this questionnaire so he can see all your answers. He still doesn't know who you are though. So he can have a really in depth discussion. Without knowing who you are. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of this trade off between you figure out the important information, you can still have a. you
1: a chatbot for
0: the system? <laughs> chatbot. That would be great. No, 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 we don't. So there are several startups who
1: are building yeah. the chatbot. There are many IT managers in smaller organizations mm-hmm. who are uh, desperate for advice,
0: but they can't afford to be the consultant. Correct. People are building the chatbots to communicate with these people. So yeah. they Yeah, Yeah. that's that's the thing, like this product is very costly, you're right. Uh, Yeah, but no, I I think let's build a chatbot for CISO, let me know. (laughs) Uh, Any other questions, please? Questions? You had a question. That was one of their requirements, because if they would start infringing on this data, there would be like a conflict of interest. Yeah. Oh,
1: so that's why. Okay. Yeah. They, figure like, they want
0: that, but they can't have it they they can't happen. Yeah, they're yeah. They also were trying to to be fair because if they they know that those guys will not answer the questions because they would have a fear that the insurance company is misusing it against them. Yeah, okay. yeah. So yeah. No, it's it's, it's really a really tricky thing, and, and I think um, I think, you know, kind of back to the kind of the reason why why we're here is, you know, as a product manager, you, you want to be able to communicate this. You want to be able to communicate to the security guys, the things that you're building, to the data scientist guys, the things that you're building, and, and also to the legal guys. I think like I, I needed a third circle, really, like product manager is in the middle of legal guys, security guys, and data scientists at this stage. All right. Any questions? Well, yeah, noise is really popular in information theory, it's very important, but I think it's it's, it's not a a thing that has has played into this concept, right? The only thing that we use from information theory here is this kind of idea that you don't know what what will be valuable, what information will be valuable later, right? I I don't know whether dragons or black sheep are more important. When you build your product, you don't know whether revealing the information about your battery will be important later, just don't, right? Don't build a product revealing too much information. Always minimize information. That's why we remove the logins. I didn't know how it's going to be abused, but I'm just going to remove logins, right? And all, all of this stuff, I'm just going to remove all of this stuff as much as I can because the legal guys are going to love it and also the procurement is going to love it, security guys are going to love it. Yeah, so, yeah, no, noise hasn't played in, but maybe, do you have an idea how it could play in? No, no, yeah. no I, I love noise. It's very important for information, too but I haven't figured out how to use it yet. Cool, all right, so, more beer? Oh,
1: sorry. I was wondering if you, have any, if you can tell us just what you see as Nantec, uh what people are freaking out about
0: in the world. People, people are freaking out in the world?
1: I can make up lots of things to freak out about <laughs> here on the front lines.
0: Um, well, so I can tell you one thing about cybersecurity which is that you know a lot of those startups are really focusing, like very often in other tech fields, are very focused on kind of different security stuff and really techy stuff, but they're really totally missing the point of how to make it a financially viable pro- product, right? So all of those cybersecurity startups, if you go to our RSA, there are like a thousand of them by now, and they are all very excited about this next generation firewall that they're building or something like that. But they're really kind of missing the implication of cybersecurity onto the balance sheet, what the CFO, does the CFO care about this stuff, right? Are you selling to the CISO? Selling to the CISO is a pain, like as you mentioned. What you really want to do is like, what, what is the big implication for the company, right? That's why I'm trying to give this talk to product managers, even though cybersecurity is really cool, but I don't think it's cool unless it's being used by people that that, that build it, uh, that, that have an impact on the company, right? Uh, so, I, I think that's kind of the key thing right now. Cybersecurity is still in a nascent industry that still hasn't communicated to everyone why it's important. I think it's a bit of an issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's my perspective.
1: Uh, what are, um, what are the, the, the trends of big mistakes that five, five managers are responsible for
0: regarding security? When, the, when they build cybersecurity products or when they build their own yeah, products? Yeah.
1: That
0: it. Yeah, no, that all the time. I think all of those products are being built with kind of without thinking about information too much. I think that's, that that would be my general direction. Like a lot of those apps, um, I think in Tinder you can upgrade yourself right now to become a super user, pretty simple. Uh, so so they they have all these kind of vulnerabilities that they opened up because they opened up too many functionalities. Mm-hmm. They are not tracking it anymore. Um, So I I think the simplest, you know, like we all want to build a simple product, right? Because that's what we've been taught, right? But I think the other reason to build a simple product is because it's going to be small and everyone can know what the functionalities are. And you can remove all these little problems and bugs and errors that can be then abused. So I think there there are many reasons to build a simple product, but one of them is a cybersecurity reason um, that I would definitely focus on. I think as a, as a general answer, I think when you build something, you often build something with a lot of different functionalities because they're just there. You know, you have this really cool library. It has all these different functionalities. You're only using one feature in this library, uh, but you you will keep all the other features just because it's there, right? And so quite a lot of the problems that are resulting are, are based on this, right? So you, you've built up an... Um, IP and you have this IP and it has lots of open ports and you just keep them all open just because you kind of can And and then they get abused all these open ports, right? So so this this is like really cool products are really built where you remove one functionality after another and you say hey actually We don't need to copy databases. It will never happen. We never need this. We never need a hard delete we need a hard delete? No, we don't need a hard delete. So remove that functionality, and so that that kind of changes your entire product. If you start removing functionalities that are just there because they're there, it makes a really cool product, really really solid.
1: Including stuff behind a feature switch. What do you mean? Uh, so for example, uh, you have a million users and you want to try. Yeah.
0: Like yeah. That that's how that's where all the problems come from. Yeah, A/B testing and stuff yeah, like so that. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah that, that, that's exactly what everyone abuses that's why I'm saying like we can all upgrade after afterwards to Tinder super user if you want um, okay.
1: sorry
0: with artificial intelligence yeah he's not concerned with cyber security he lost it uh,
1: yeah
0: no it's a great it's a great question so Kind of that that's the interaction of data science and cybersecurity. And, you know, data science is like a, everyone loves it, but I think it's a very nascent field right now it's been applied to vision, it's been applied to natural language processing, but when it starts being applied to cybersecurity, it's actually kind of, it's totally different data, right? So it's data points that no one has actually looked at, they don't really understand how to kind of analyze it on a big scale. The amount of this data that is available is also not that much It's compared to kind of training databases on vision and NLP, right? So in reality, cybersecurity is kind of very far away from being very effective in using um, um, artificial intelligence, if you want to use that word, but um, so it's it's it, it's very early in that stage. So it, I don't I don't I don't think we're kind of in this kind of the the robots are going to start hacking us. Yeah.
1: So for the product that you launched, was there a theoretical reason why you picked surveys, gathering information through surveys, as opposed to maybe getting the same information through like other sources by maybe tracking the your-
0: It was the product requirement. I I think you're right. This this kind of, the entire field is moving from kind of surveys, which are really kind of um, the first step of uh, achieving this information, to automatic tracking. Um, And then you can actually obtain quite a lot of this. Like my previous company that I worked for, they do this called outside-in analysis on companies where you basically don't ask the CISO anymore, hey, CISO, are you doing crypting? You look at the SSL certificates and you come up with the idea that, yeah, I mean, it's an old SSL certificate. SSL certificate, and then you see that it's an old certificate and it's um, outdated and it's using a weak encryption. So that's actually the entire field is moving into this direction of the automatic analysis versus surveys. Um, But that was a requirement in this particular. Uh, There are a couple of companies like that. Security Scorecard is the one that I worked for. Uh, There is another company in Boston and and, and some in the Bay Area as well. Cool. Um, Yeah. Cool. Thanks for coming. If you have any further questions, we have beers.